Hey everybody, welcome to Grace Life. If you would, help me welcome all of our first time guests, both here in the room as well as online. Glad to have you with us. Yeah, that's just fun. Five seconds and nothing more. Boop, you're done. Anyway, hey, uh, if you haven't noticed, um, Jimmy Rollins is not with us today. Uh, he was supposed to be, but he actually lives uh, on the coast of Florida. And so y'all imagine what happened this week. We were supposed to fly in on Thursday. He had no flights. They were all canceled. And uh, so I hate to disappoint you all. You don't have Jimmy Rollins. You just have Jimmy today. So anyway, well, thank you. I do appreciate that. And um, uh, but before we go any further, actually, could we take a moment and could we honor our veterans and have all of you guys stand to your feet wherever you are all across the room, online, jump up in your living room. Rocky, get back up. Come on, everybody. Thank you so much. You know, as we are in the midst of our global outreach series, this is, you couldn't come up with a better time to celebrate Veterans Day because what we're doing is realizing that there are people all over the world that don't have the freedoms we have. There are people that cannot go safely into a house of worship today and, and know that they are free to worship God as, as they feel led by the Holy Spirit and Scripture. I mean, I'm honored for what God has given me in my life, and uh, I just want to say thank you for the veterans that are here. I can't thank the ones that have done this over the decades and the centuries. It's been a long process getting us here, and I'm grateful for it. So uh, with that being said, well, so here's where we are. Uh, we were supposed to have Jimmy Rollins with us on Thursday, uh, helping us with our Global Outreach series, a very specific topic that he had. Uh, unfortunately, all the flights were canceled. There was no chance of him getting uh, here. And so late Wednesday evening, uh, I got the message that I'd be preaching Thursday. And so normally I take a whole week and, and actually I'm preparing weeks before because it's always in my head what I'm going to be doing. And so I had little less than 24 hours. I woke up on Thursday morning and said, well, God, what do you want to do? And, and the good news, you know, sometimes that's a complicated process and it, it takes a while to really discern and to dig through scripture. And, but what I felt is God immediately said, show them how easy it is to do what you talked about last week. If you were here for part two, it was supposed to be the only part of the Global Outreach series that I was going to preach. And what I shared with you was the parable where Jesus talked about going after the one that is lost. Go after the one until. Go after the one that is lost until they are found. And that was a charge that I gave the church, something I'd never done before. Will we become a church that goes after the one until? And so what I realized, though, is that's not easy for everyone. And so what I believe God wanted me to share with you today is how easy it is to go after the one. Because for many of us, what we hear is an incredibly intimidating message, right? I mean, don't raise your hand. But many times when someone talks to you about reaching your neighbor, it's overwhelming. It's a little scary. We have a lot of people who are kind of introverts. We have people who are not sure how to answer the questions people may ask. We, we know that religion's a volatile subject and and, and so for some of us, that's just the hardest thing in the world to do. My college campus pastor, he was the associate pastor of our church when I was in college. He actually uh, did my wedding. And the thing is, though, we got wrong when we called him a pastor because he wasn't a pastor. The truth is he was an evangelist through and through. He loved to talk to people and to hopefully strike up a conversation about Jesus. He would walk across the college campus. Every day he got up, he went to the college campus, and he would, he would just try to find somebody to have a conversation with. And he was good at it because he would talk to anybody whether they wanted to talk to him or not. 
And so if you were a student walking down the sidewalk, you'd say, hey, how are you doing? I see you going into the biology building. You got a, ca a class there? That's great. So, uh, hey, if you died today, would you go to heaven? I mean, he had no problem with awkward conversations. He actually, he loved awkward conversations because he knew it was coming. They didn't. He figured he had an upper hand in the awkward conversation. But that's not me. That's probably not most of you. Statistically, it is not most of us. We don't enjoy awkward conversations. We don't enjoy starting uh, a conversation with a perfect stranger and having a conversation they don't want to have. And so what ends up happening is we feel guilty because we know we should talk to people about Jesus, but we feel guilty that we don't. And so at some point, we just kind of have to like put that thought out of our mind so we don't feel so bad, so we end up not caring at all, Right? And so the reality, though, is what happens for many of us, even though we do a global outreach series every year, every year I'm preaching and trying to remind us we have to go reach our neighbor. Nobody else is going to do it. A lot of us kind of take the place that says, well, I'll give and I'll serve and I'll go to a life group and I'll, uh, I'll do that. But, you know, somebody else is going to have to do the awkward stuff. The problem, though, is it's a really big world. And the other people in here don't live next to your neighbor and they don't work with your coworker, and they're not in your classroom. At some point, we're gonna to have to realize we really do have to do this. And so what I hope I can share with you today is a, is a message, it's a story from the Bible, that will show you how incredibly easy and non-awkward it is to tell someone about who Jesus is in your life. Anybody want easy, non-awkward? There you go. All right, well, it's actually a long story, so if you've got your Bibles, there's never been a better time for you to follow along. It's John chapter 4, and uh, if not, it'll be on the screen right here. Jesus is uh, on a little journey, and we're going to pick it up in verse 3, and it says, So he, Jesus, that is, left Judea and went back once more to Galilee, and now he had to go through Samaria. Except the problem is, no, he didn't. Now, I'm not saying the Bible's wrong, because if you know me, I'm a big believer in the Bible. But what that means is we don't understand the phrase at face value. The idea he had to go through that, what that communicates to us is it was the only way to get there. So he's in Judea, which is in southern Israel, and he's going to Galilee, which is in northern Israel, like directly above each other. And, and so I learned in first grade, the closest distance between two points is a straight line. And there was a straight line. The problem is this straight line went through a region in the middle called Samaria. And so you would think, oh, that means he's just got to take the closest path, but actually not. One thing that we forget about Jesus, because, you know, we all think Jesus is just like us. He's not American, y'all. I had to tell you that. Jesus was Jewish. He was a Jewish man who had Jewish disciples. And the thing was that the Jews didn't go through Samaria because the Samaritans, and I'll tell you why in a minute, but the Samaritans were defiling people. And so every other Jewish person, anyone else like Jesus, instead of taking the straight line from these two places, they would have gone a path all the way around. And so there was another path, and it was the most commonly traveled path for Jews. And so the idea that Jesus had to go that way, it didn't mean it in the natural. What it means is in the spiritual. He was compelled by his father. He had to go that way because the father had something for him to do. He didn't go that way because it was the only road. He went that way, even though it was the way no one else of his heritage would ever go. He had to go that way because the father had something for him. So think about that. What that means for you and me is sometimes if we're going to do something meaningful for God, we're going to have to travel the road that no one else in our culture is willing to travel. Some of y'all are done. You may go to lunch. That's all you needed to hear today. 
To do something meaningful for God, sometimes you and I are going to have to travel a road no one else in our culture is willing to travel. But let's keep going in the story. So Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now what I'm about to tell you has absolutely nothing to do with the point that I'm trying to make or the story and the interaction Jesus is about to have, but I can't ever preach this without just stopping to remind us of the incredible hope we have. Jesus understands you. Jesus understands you. I mean, think about this. That's a baffling passage. Here is the Son of God who is hungry and tired. And I know it's a whole other mystery on the Trinity we are not going to get into today, but he was fully God and fully man. What that means is Jesus faced every temptation you and I face. He also faced the simple stuff we face, like a stomach growling at you, like a mouth that was dry, like actually being tired. And we've got to remember, like, we'll go to the mall, you know, in our really cool, nice, comfy shoes. Okay, Jesus is walking in, like, sandals made out of a strap of leather. He has no insoles, no arch support, you know. I mean, come on, y'all. He is walking all the way across the land of Israel. I've ridden that in a bus, and I'm tired. He's walking it in the middle of the day in the Middle East, right? And so it is high noon, no Western movie references, just it is high noon. And he shows up at this well. Because he is thirsty, because he is hungry, because he's actually tired. And one of the things that we can get from this is the reality. Sometimes God will ask us to do something that's a little challenging. You know, talk to your neighbor or, or pray for that person or go do this. And we're like, okay, let me, let me muster up my strength. Let me get to where I'm in a really good place. Let me get, get my A game on. I got this. You know, Jesus is about to have an incredible encounter with a woman, change her life, and ultimately bring revival to an entire city. And he's going to do it all when he's not in his physical A game. He's tired, hungry, hangry maybe. Y'all know what I'm saying? And he's actually going to set all that aside to say, yes, Father, whatever you need. So when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Gives us a little side note here that he was alone. Tells us his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And so this Samaritan woman said to him, um, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Let me explain. About 700 years before this moment, the Assyrian Empire had conquered God's people, the Israelites, had carried most of them off as slaves. But in order to control the land and to reap the fruit of what was growing in the land, they then brought in some people they had conquered from other foreign nations. And so the Jews that were left behind over the next 700 years, well, you know, their choices for marriage were quite limited. So they began to marry among the foreigners that had come in. The problem with that is Jewish law forbid, forbade South Carolina education. Not sure which one of those is right. The Jewish law said that the uh, Jews couldn't marry someone who was a foreigner. And so now all the Jews are looking down upon them because they are only half Jewish. All of the non-Jews hate them because they are half Jewish. So now they become the outcast to everyone. And so they live in this little region right in the middle of Israel, surrounded by God's people who say they are not good enough because of where they come from and their heritage and who their parents were. 
But what's crazy about this is these Samaritans actually tried to retain their worship to God. This is the baffling part. And the reason that they were so hated is because usually when you marry, you take on the gods of other people, but they actually fought to keep their belief in the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So much so that when the Jews said, you can't come to Jerusalem and worship at our temple because you are unclean, you are unworthy, God doesn't accept you, they built their own temple. Because they didn't have the priests that would teach the scriptures to them, they ended up with their own version. It was very, very close. It was only slightly modified. They didn't intentionally take out anything. They just, they just had a different version over 700 years because they didn't have any connection anymore. But they actually still tried to continue to worship God. And that's going to be really important as we go through our story. So Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. If you can imagine her frame of mind at this point, probably a little like, would you stop talking to me? Sir, uh, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. And where can you get this living water are you greater than our father Jacob? And I'm going to pause there to point that out. Here's a Samaritan still referring to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as their fathers as well because they believe and they want to be right with God. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as he did also his sons and his livestock? I think at this point she is one step from declaring him off his rocker, like just a little bit crazy because there is nothing about what he's doing that's making any sense. First of all, he is a Jew talking to a Samaritan. They don't do that. They would ignore them completely. He is a man talking to a woman alone in public. You're not allowed to do that, especially she's a Samaritan woman. Like you are crossing every line you possibly could. You are talking strangely about water that is alive. Maybe you are actually hallucinating from the heat and the fact that you need water. On top of that, Nobody comes to get water at noon. We'll find out in a minute why she is there, but nobody does that. If you're a traveler, you go into the town and take care of your problem. You, you buy whatever you need there because nobody is going to come and sit by a well with no way to get water out of it, just hoping somebody else would show up. Talk to somebody you can't and ask them to give you a water that's alive or you're going to give them water that's alive, but you can't get your own water. Man, dude, are you like a lunatic or something? I seriously think that's her frame of mind. She's getting a little irritated. You ever had a stranger strike up a conversation with you and, and you're just kind of done? And I think that's kind of where she is until what he says next. He says, well, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. At this point, he has her attention. So much so, I think she misses the next sentence altogether. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Although I think she believes he's this close to being crazy, he offered her something she wants more than anything else. And what we can't miss here is that up until this point in the story, this is a completely natural encounter for this woman. Everything has been about what she thinks, what she feels, who she is, what she needs in the world. And she has completely missed what Jesus just tried to do. He offered her eternal life. She didn't even hear it. She didn't even bring that up. He says, I've got water. You'll never be thirsty again. You won't ever have to come here again. She goes, okay, that, that will speak to me. Okay, sell made. How do I get this water? And here's the reason. She has a natural problem. She's been a very immoral woman. And so she can't be around anyone else in the town. 
She's an outcast, a social outcast. As a result of that, all of the other women that come, come in the cool of the day in the morning, they draw their water and they go about their business. She has to wait. She has to come alone. Every day she comes alone because she can't be with anyone else. No one else in the town, none of the women will talk to her. And so she comes here because she's filled with shame and she's filled with guilt because she knows that what she has done and what she's currently doing is wrong. And Jesus says, I have water and you'll never have to do this again. She's thinking, you mean I will never have to come here in the heat of the day, the worst time? I'll never have to come draw water again? I'll never have to have an awkward meeting up with somebody I'm not supposed to talk to from that? Give me this water. She just wants Jesus to solve her biggest natural problem. How many times do we completely miss out on something incredible God wants to do because we're just focused on something natural? We're just thinking about, well, you know, I've, God, I could really use some help with this deadline I've got this week. Well, God, I could really use some help with that. Hey, God, don't let that police officer give me a ticket. Hey, God, please don't make it rain. You know, we're praying all these natural prayers, and God wants to do something absolutely incredible and supernatural, and we miss it completely. Jesus just said, I'll give you eternal life. And she's like, can you just make sure I don't have to come back to the well tomorrow? <laughs> Wait a minute. Eternal life, come back to the well tomorrow. Yeah, those aren't on the same plane, but she missed it. But Jesus forces to take the conversation where he wants it to go. He's going to make it spiritual. So he tells her, go call your husband and come back. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you got that one right. He said, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. So what you've just said is quite true. What that means is she has either been divorced or widowed five times and ultimately has given up on the idea of marriage altogether, and so now she's just living with a man. Sir, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. What? Seriously, like the first time you read that story, first time you heard that story, did you ever think like, seriously, is that what she asked at that point? If you were here for part two and I told you about how to go after the one, I said, they're not asking theological questions. Don't worry about it. But this passage makes it look like I lied to you. Because that definitely looks like a theological question, doesn't it? Well, if you are a prophet, let me give you the biggest theological debate of our age. Like, we're fighting between us and those people. Like, we actually beat each other up over this one. We are shunned because of it. Like, this is a big deal. Answer my theological question. But it wasn't. You see, what the Jews had told them it's because you or your parents or your grandparents or your great, great, great somebody over the last 700 years violated God's word and you married with foreigners, you are never allowed to come into the temple. You are never allowed to come to Jerusalem. You are an outcast. You are not accepted. You are not loved. God doesn't love you. God doesn't accept you. And God doesn't accept your worship over here in your little second-rate temple. Now, remember, they actually want to worship God. They still believe Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their fathers. They have a version of the scriptures. They have a temple. They're doing the best they can to worship God. They want to be right with God. So her question isn't theological. What she really said to Jesus was, I just want to be right with God. Will you please, will you please tell me, is, is what I do, is it, is it going to be acceptable in his sight? Is, when I go to the temple, does God look down upon me? Does I just want to know, does God love me? Does he accept me? It's not a theological question. It's the cry of her heart. 
And the reason that we need to see that is because so often we're afraid to talk to our neighbor about Jesus because we think, I don't know what to do with their theological question. And at least 99 out of 100 times, they're not asking one, even if it sounds like it. If they say something like, well, you know, I don't, I don't want to go to church with you because why would a good God allow such things like this to happen in the world? And you think, oh my gosh, I don't have the theological answer for why there is evil in the world. But that's not what they actually are asking. What they're asking is, how could a good God let that happen to me? When I was seven years old, I prayed, and God didn't show up and do what I asked him to do. And so I've decided I can't believe in a good God because, you see, they're not asking theological questions. They're asking the cry of their heart. And if we would realize that that's really what they're after, then we might have an answer for that. Jesus replied to the woman, believe me, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. That is a great passage for a completely different message that I will share with you another day in a series on worship. So we're going to keep going. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us because his answer just confused her more than anything. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, well, I am he. And you need to understand what just happened. This is a big deal, a pivotal moment in human history. Everyone, everyone has been looking for the Messiah for thousands of literal years. Literal thousands of years. It's the only thing they wanted. The Messiah's coming. They're searching the scriptures. Well, I believe the Messiah will come back next year. Or I believe the Messiah will come this way. Or I believe the Messiah will come from that town. There are people that would literally just live in a place because they wanted to be there when the Messiah came. Finding the Messiah was the biggest deal for the Jews. And it was the biggest deal for the Samaritans because they hoped that maybe the Messiah would find, would tell them that they were actually going to be accepted and maybe be vindicated finally. Everybody was looking for the Messiah. Everyone. It was the biggest deal on planet Earth. And there's a person in front of her saying, it's me. Now, if he hadn't have just told her everything that she ever did, she wouldn't have believed. I think she was that close to thinking he was a lunatic up until that point. But now, suddenly... She's faced with a choice. And because of what he had said to her, what he had done in her heart, she believes. Now's the real problem. She has found what everyone else is looking for. She's utterly and completely convinced Jesus is the Christ. He's the one everybody wants. He's the one everyone is looking for. I found it! but no one's going to believe me. They think I lie every time I say I haven't been with your husband. They don't believe a word I say. No one trusts me. What am I going to do? Am I going to go tell them I found them? I've got like the worst reputation in the town. There is no way anybody is going to believe me. What, what in the world am I supposed to do with the fact that I have the answer to the question everybody is asking, but nobody wants to hear from me? Don't raise your hand for any of these questions. How many times have you had the answer, but you didn't say it because of what you thought of yourself? 
How many times have you not been willing to invite someone to church or talk about Jesus because of how much of your story they knew? How many times have you acted a certain way on a business trip so you can't invite anyone that you work with to come to church with you that weekend when you get back? Because you think, well, they saw me, there's no way. I mean, if anything, I would only defame the glory of God by inviting them to church. I mean, I can't possibly do that. How many times have we never mentioned Jesus to someone simply because of what we think they think about us? Because they know our reputation, because they know our past, they know our story, they know us. How many times? The good news is this woman, she made the really tough choice and she chose to lay her own pride down, to lay her reputation, to lay her humility to, I think she thought probably worst case scenario here, but I've got to tell people. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. And I think some of the people are like, Messiah? Well, we've been waiting. If he's here, I want to know. I think there are other people that are just excited about this. She said, the man that told me everything I ever did. Like, well, if there's somebody out there that knows everything you ever did, I want to know. Because, you know, we're talking about it around here. We gossip behind your back. We know about the first guy. We know about the second guy. We're not sure about that guy. That guy denies it. He lies about it. We're sure he's lying. But if there's anybody that knows your whole story, we want to meet him. <laughs> and so they all go running out. And we need to understand today, just like she went and said, I don't know what you think of me, but I'm going to tell you what. What every one of you was looking for, I just found. Yes, granted, at work tomorrow and at school tomorrow, people aren't looking for the Jewish Messiah. But they are looking for the answer to their guilt, their shame. They're looking for meaning for life. They're looking for acceptance. They want to be loved. They want to know what the end of their life brings. They want to know if there is more. You see, we're actually in the exact same place this woman was in. You and I have found the answer to every question everyone in our life is asking. Except some of us are afraid to go and talk to them because of who we think we have been or even still are. You ever been watching an incredibly great movie when you actually have to do it on something that gives you commercials? I know that doesn't happen often these days. But you're at the best moment in the movie and, and it breaks for the dumbest, most awkward commercial ever. That's what happens right here. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. It's almost like a Burger King commercial going on here. You know, you can just, what? Then his disciples said to each other, could, could someone have brought him food? I mean, we left him here alone. He said he was hungry. We went, we got the food, we brought it back. Now he doesn't want the food. He says he's got food we don't know anything about. I'm not really sure. And Jesus says, my food. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying it's still four months until harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ripe for harvest. I almost skipped this part completely because it has no bearing on our story or the point that we're making today until I realized it has incredible bearing on you and me. You know, when you watch a movie or you read a story even if you don't do it intentionally, you're always imagining which character in the story you would be. This is us. 
This is almost every single one of us. Jesus has just revealed himself as the Messiah, the Son of God, to this woman. She now believes. She went from being an adulteress filled with shame who hid from everybody and was going to pay for her sins for all of eternity to somebody who now is having a conversation with Jesus and is going to spend eternity in heaven and she's going to go and tell a town and the entire town is going to experience revival. That is what's happening and all the disciples see is, hey, did you get the cheeseburgers? I'm kind of hungry. Jesus is... The disciples, the closest ones to him. It's the same thing you and I do because we get so focused on our natural world. All we see is, what I, I can't believe that it's going to be raining today. i got to wear a jacket. Well, I've got to get this done by Friday, and I've got to make sure we get a good Thanksgiving dinner because my, my most hated relative is showing up, and you know they always complain about how I burned the turkey and this and that and vacation. Or what I mean, all we do is think about this, and we don't see anything spiritual happening around us. We don't notice. I mean, think about this. We get so caught up with meeting the deadline for the project at work that we don't even realize that one of the coworkers we just yelled at is looking for the answer. We're looking for God. We're so busy trying to figure out how I can finally pass algebra class so I don't get grounded for Thanksgiving break that we don't notice that there's a student in our class that's looking for something that only God can give them. It is so easy for us to be like the disciples. God is moving in our midst. He's doing amazing things in the world around us, and we're just like, uh, did, we, did we pay the electric bill this month? Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. And that's actually remarkable. Because, again, this woman is not trustworthy. She didn't have a great reputation. Why in the world would they believe because of what she said? This is important not to miss this. The reason they believed what she said was not because of how clean she was and how trustworthy she was and what a stellar role model she was, but because she was vulnerable, transparent, and willing to say, hey, you know what? I know you don't think the best of me, but it doesn't matter what you think of me. I'd like you to meet Jesus. And what we need to see from this is the truth. Authenticity, not religion, will speak the loudest to your friends and family. Authenticity. When we finally get over ourselves, because by the way, last time I read the Bible about y'all, y'all sinners. Me too. What that means is every one of us has a story, different story from the woman, but we all have a story. We've all got somebody who knows parts of us that we think is so embarrassing we can't dare pretend to be a good person and talk to them about God. We've got to get to a point that says, hey, you know what? I know you don't like me. I know you don't think well of me, and I don't blame you for that. But can I tell you about Jesus? Can you remove me from the equation? Because... I know someone you need to know. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. That's cool. I just, man, if I could be a fly on the wall, two days, hanging out with Jesus. And because of his words, many more became believers. Did y'all get that? Because of what Jesus said and did. So they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world, which brings us to our point, 
today. The main point that I wanted to make to you is this. All we have to do is introduce people to Jesus. That's all she did. And they literally explained to her, once we met Jesus, more of us became believers. Once we started talking to Jesus, we figured it out. Like, it's not because of you. Thank you for the introduction. But we've got it now because Jesus has us now. And I think way too often we take too much of God's job on us and we're not willing to do our job because we think the job is too big. We need to remember it is the Holy Spirit's job to open our, I'm sorry, it's the Holy Spirit's job to open their eyes to see the truth. It is the Holy Spirit's job to open their ears to see the truth. It is the Holy Spirit's job to soften their hearts. And we think that's all our job and it is overwhelming so then we just don't do anything. Look, all you've got to do is say, hey, Bob, I'd like you to meet Jesus. He's got it from there. He's had it from there for 2,000 years. He can handle himself. All we've got to do is say, I'd like you to meet Jesus. If you were here for part two, I gave you four words on how to go after the one. It was pray because, well, that's our job. And it was spend time or share life. I, I forget which two words I used. I used them back and forth all weekend long. But you realize that's what Jesus did. You know, he didn't just sit by the well. And when the woman walked up, he said, Hi, heathen, I'm the son of God. You need to get saved. He actually spent time with her. Hey, you know what? We got something in common. I'm thirsty. You're thirsty. He talked a little bit about their heritage, their story. I mean, like he spent time with her. But the last word was share. And that's what I'm talking about. The truth is, if I'd known Jimmy Rollins wasn't coming and I was going to have to preach this, the fourth word would not have been share, it would have been introduced because that's what I meant by that. That's, that's it. Introduce them to Jesus. I promise you the Holy Spirit's got it. And so what I want to do, because there's just a teacher in me, I want to leave you with the three insights very, very quickly, three insights that I hope you did not miss. You've already seen them. I hope you saw them. But I want to put them on the screen for those of you who take notes so you get First thing we need to get from this story is consider the path you're on. Again, if Jesus did what everybody else was doing, he would have been on a different path. He would have never met this woman. He would have never gone through this town. All of those people, their children, their children's children, there are many people in heaven today that would not have been. But Jesus was willing to listen to the Father and to take a different path. And I just want to encourage you. I believe God has a divine moment and a divine interaction for every single one of us. There is more to your life than breathing and saving for Disney. I promise. Like it might be a coworker at lunch on Tuesday. It might be a classmate changing classes on Monday. It might be the teacher you dislike the most. But God's got a moment, an interaction. There is somebody that's about to come to the well and they are tired of doing it and you just need to be there to say, hey, there's an answer. Ask yourself, are you on the path to be used by God? Second thing, we have to ask ourselves the question, are you so focused on natural things that you don't see spiritual things? Are you so busy going about your day that God could be moving in your midst and you don't even see it? Just a few weeks ago, I took my daughter out to birthday breakfast. That's what daddy does in our family. I, I take him out to birthday breakfast and... And she wanted a cheeseburger from Sonic. 
but you get what you want on your birthday with no commentary from dad. So it's no surprise if you go to Sonic for a cheeseburger for breakfast, there's not a lot of people there. There's only one other man. And uh, he decided he wanted to strike up a conversation as I walk in. And uh, because I'm a Southerner and that's what we do here in the South, people talk to you and you talk back and you pretend to like them. And that's, <laughs> that's kind of how that goes. For all of you that moved here from Ohio, that's what that weird thing is that happens everywhere you go. We, we just think we're supposed to talk to people. So I, I was polite to him as I kept moving because the truth is I didn't want to talk to him. I was there to celebrate my daughter's birthday. And so we get our food and we sit down. It's not a very large place, unfortunately, and when there's only one other person in there, it, it becomes quite intimate. He got up, went out to his car, and I thought, well, that's strange. He didn't finish eating. But he came back in and he tried to hand us two little Bibles. I'm the pastor. And all I saw was a man disturbing my birthday breakfast with my daughter. He saw an opportunity for someone to go to heaven. How much do we not see? Because we're just looking at what we're doing. And the third insight, again, I hope you got all these. Introduce them to Jesus. Really, that's it? Just make an introduction. Jesus has got it from there. You know, a couple of uh, weeks ago, I had a friend of mine, Toby, came and preached and he talked about the mental health crisis and how God had led him to write a children's book. And, and he said this phrase, children can do hard things if they know the son is with them, Jesus. So I actually had another friend of mine I didn't realize was watching our services that day, halfway around the world. He's pastoring in Ukraine. And he, he texted me and he said, hey, can, can we get that in our language? Because do you know what our children are going through living here in Ukraine? They need to know that they can do hard things if Jesus is with them. I said, sure, I'll introduce you. And so I texted Toby and said, I'd like you to meet Oleg. And then I was done. And now... They're going to have all of Toby's materials translated into Romanian and Moldovan and Russian and Ukrainian. And... and that's cool in and of itself. But my point is, I was out of the conversation after that. What'll be so cool is when you introduce one of your friends to Jesus says, hey, look, you know, I, I don't have all the answers here. You're, you're going to have many questions. I don't know all of that, but here's what I know. I know who Jesus is and what he's done for me. So let me introduce you to him. And they're going to come back to you a few days or a few weeks or a few months later and say, man, you wouldn't believe my life. Just introduce him. Jesus has got it. It makes going after the one really easy when you figure out you don't have to answer every question. You don't have to have all of their next steps figured out. And you don't have to take responsibility for all of the results. You just have to introduce them to your big brother. That's it. And so look, last week I gave the church a charge, something that I'd never done before, to be people who go after the one until. If you are willing to accept that charge. That was not a one-time message where you're like, whoo, man, that's tough. Let's move on from that, Jimmy. I don't wanna hear that again. I'm actually gonna keep bringing that up. But if we're gonna be willing to be the people who go after the one until, then I hope this message takes away some of the awkwardness, some of the fear, some of the intimidation and helps you realize this is not that hard. Introduce them to Jesus. He's got the rest. Amen? Let me pray for us. 
God, I thank you today that you never gave up on us, that you kept going after us. And so today, uh, we have a prayer, God. Would you help us to overcome the lies we believe about ourselves, the things the devil whispers to us, nobody would listen to us, nobody wants God, nobody, all of those things that we know aren't true, but they dominate our thoughts. God, would you, would you overcome them? Would you dethrone them in our minds? Would you fill us with faith and hope that if we introduce people to you, their lives will be changed because we know that's the truth. God, we thank you for your goodness that you've redeemed us. Help us, use us to go and reach others. If you just stay in a place of prayer, I wanna to speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. We've kind of been talking about it all day. Jesus came, lived a perfect life, and he was crucified on the cross. And because he lived a perfect life, he had no sins to pay for. So his blood shed, his body broken, offers forgiveness to anyone who accepts him as their Lord and Savior. It's called the free gift of salvation. And because we're forgiven and we're right with God, we then also receive eternal life. If you have never received this incredible gift, I wanna help you do this right now, wherever you are. Simply say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now, I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. In my simple prayer here today, would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom? Amen. Would you all help me celebrate with them, everybody?